0: Jesus coming unto him. Next day John seen Jesus coming unto him. And said and said, Behold the
1: Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God. Which taketh away the sin of Which taketh away the sin of the world. State your case concerning us so that I don't. Uh, misrepresented. It's one thing for me to assume. Maybe I've misunderstood what oneness is, but if they hear it from you, uh, when I make my statements, if what I'm saying is true, then it will come out in the wash as something that you have said and not my definition. Can you do that for me, sir?
2: Certainly. Uh, I think the premise of uh, the oneness position is uh, very simplistic in the sense uh, it's uh, you can get a very good understanding of it from a high level overview. We believe foundationally that uh, as it relates to an understanding of the nature of God that he has revealed himself specifically uh, through Christ Jesus. Uh, and of course, the medium through which we understand Christ is through the word of God. We believe the New Testament is the final revelation concerning all things that are germane to mankind. But our reading of the scriptures is that one must read the Old Te- New Testament through the already established revelation of the Old Testament that in order to have what we would understand as an apostolic worldview we cannot have that divorced uh, from the foundational revelation that are revealed to us through the prophets the apostles and of course Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Uh, So essentially oneness holds that based upon this hermeneutical foundation of what God has revealed of himself as one in the Old testament not just one in nature not just one um in a union type sense, but one in the sense of his personal identity. He has stressed it without reservation that he is one, one, one. Uh, and he, and more importantly, has revealed himself fundamentally as our father in the old Testament, Malachi two ten. Have we all not one God have not, have we all not one father. It's uh, this one God who appeared to Abraham, this one God that made man in the garden, this one God, Who saved Noah, uh, this one God who uh, revealed himself to Isaac, Jacob, uh, that revealed himself to Moses in the Theophany, perhaps in the burning bush that delivered the children of Israel, uh, that said in the book of Deuteronomy, that did I not carry all the days of old like a man, uh, like a father carries his child. Uh, Throughout all the witness of the Old Testament, we believe the most redundant and consistent uh, proposition that God makes of himself is that he is not only one, uh, as um, using unipersonal examples, but he reveals and solidifies that he is our father because It is through his hands, and his hands only has he stretched forth the earth in creation. And it is from this progressive revelation, which we would say that anything that would take a different course from what has already been established, because all things that were written aforetime were written for our understanding, that if it diverges from this fundamental truth of who he is, uh, that it is not progressive revelation, it is divergent revelation. And we believe this same God prophesied of his coming, that he would be the one that would be manifest in the flesh. And so we come to the New Testament where we encounter this unique man that has not been like any other man throughout all of human history. Uh, the very God of glory himself manifested or revealed himself by becoming perfectly enjoined to his creation without distorting the divine nature. Uh, and we call that incarnate God, the Lord Jesus Christ. We believe that he was like us in always and always, but he was not just us because he was Fully God and fully man. But his divinity was not limited to the incarnation. At the same extent that he was being God fully revealed in flesh, His divine omnipotence prerogatives were not thereby limited or exhausted by means of the Incarnation. So he was at the same time as they used to say he was Mary's baby, but he was still the God of glory at the same time. We believe this man, who was God manifest in the flesh, came, died. He took on the form of a servant, veiled the splendor of his glory. So that he could not be perceived to fulfill the prophecy of Isaiah 53, the suffering servant. He had no comeliness that we should desire him. Nothing about him would take attention to himself. But this God who loved us so much came down from his glory. He died and praise the Lord. It was in one instance, Jesus said, if you destroy this temple in three days, I will rise, raise it up. But we have it being stated other places that Jesus said that the Father will raise it up. We as one as Pentecostals, I would say the majority of us, there are divergences among us, I would imagine, as with any group. Uh, We believe wholeheartedly in the hypostatic union, not because it's theological uh, in the sense of a tradition, but because we can prove it from Scripture, Uh, Hebrews 1 and 3, that the unseen reality of the Son is the Father's nature himself, clearly stated in Scripture. Uh, So it is this Jesus who died and was resurrected, ascended into the heavens. Uh, We believe that he makes intercession still for us through incarnation, that the incarnation of the hypostatic union is not something that will ever be end, ended even though the economic roles will be. But we understand, and I say this in landing in the prophecies of and Zechariah, that the Lord God will come. It says Yahweh will come, and it talks about him placing his feet on the Mount of Olives. But we have in Acts 1 when the angels were looking at the disciples, and they say, ye men of Judea, while well, standing, you are uh, gazing into the skies. The same Jesus, who you have seen leave, uh, is going to return in like manner. Well, we have the like manner in His return. Uh, told, He told us how He was going to come back before He left in Zechariah, where it says, undisputably, not through an agent, not through an intermediary, but it says Yahweh Himself. Uh, Shall come and he will place his feet on the Mount of Olives and they will cleave where I dare say that that will be the God incarnate glorified in the man Jesus Christ, thus fulfilling the prophecies that we see in Revelation uh, 22, that his servants will see his face uh, and they will worship him. So essentially, we believe that everything that God is, that he has revealed it through Christ Jesus, the son. Now, the difference would be, we would understand the sonship of Jesus to be composite of his true humanity. And his true humanity would not simply be, uh, as some would say, a flesh suit. They are one of those people who use that illustration. It makes my skin crawl, uh, not because I'm doubting their sincerity, but because it takes away from the reality of what a real incarnation is. A real incarnation is just not about putting bones and skin on it is to become man 100% comporally and non comporeally which would encompass a true human soul. Now, this is the portion that I believe the Bible talks about when it says great is the mystery of godliness. Because we have never had a human uh, like this before. There are some things the scripture does not tell us exhaustively, but it does tell us descriptively. And I, and I say that because uh, I, I just keep going on talking about oneness.
1: Uh that actually is the point. Uh <laughs> that, that you go on talking about oneness so that uh it's not misunderstood at all. But uh okay. Uh I will ask some questions so that I will can make sure that I'm not misunderstanding and no one that is listening is misunderstanding uh, what you are saying. Are you saying that the um, the character uh, that is described in the Old Testament as God, Yahweh, and Jehovah is one God?
2: Yes, I'm saying uh, that, of course, which I believe uh, even Trinitarians would agree with us on that, that uh, he's definitely revealed himself numerically as one. But we would maintain that this oneness is not a a tripersonal oneness uh, or or societal uh, oneness. But we believe it is a personal oneness uh, that the way that he has described himself, of course, understanding this doesn't divorce the divine attributes.
1: Okay, so this personal oneness, can you give me a uh, Bible verse or maybe two that says this is a personal oneness?
2: Well, not in those exact words. Uh, well, but give some other kind of. Okay. Well, let me see here. I can uh, show you an example just real quickly. Going in the book of Exodus. Uh, let's see here. No, I'm sorry, Deuteronomy. And not to chapter 6, usually, with what a lot of us go to. First, But I think it's a powerful case to be made by just reading the context of, um, and this is just simply uh, stated, in uh, Deuteronomy, the first chapter, at the 6th verse, verse. Yes, the, yes sir. Six. What,
1: what, yes, what translation are we oh, reading
2: out of? I'm reading out the N-E-T. N-E-T. T- hold mm-hmm. on. Hold on. That, that means I'm, I'm
1: going mean, B- to put the B-T next to the Archivist's version. Base, fly, version. And see and what see we what
2: had. Go ahead. It starts off by stating, uh, the Lord our God spoke to us at Horeb and said, You have stayed in this area of this mountain long enough. Head out and resume your journey. This instance uh, that Moses is uh, recounting to them was the manifestation of when God will reveal himself in Exodus 19, verses 1 through 25, where the Bible says that they saw the God of Israel, which revealed himself uh, as one person. And of course, he did not use that word, but foundationally, we understand Uh, That at that manifestation, uh, that when they saw him, they saw him being revealed as one person. Uh, It was a go to verse. Where
1: where is that is that in?
2: That's in Exodus 19, verses 1 through 25. Let's see. Let's see.
1: Third
0: month, we're all the children the children, we're we're children we're fourth of the same day, day the day, and the day of the day, and the day of the day, the day and the day of the day, the of day, the 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 of I and mean, all, it all, it 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 all it the all the to get all the all the people in like go into all to and 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 the the and going to the uh, and the and to the and going to the a and going to Thank you, for the third day. morning day, wherever, about and, like, and, 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 and they kind of, well, the the Because of and the in the, the, the fall great, great, great place. When the voice when the of the
1: voice trumpet, trumpet waxed louder and louder and louder, and, louder and, louder and, Moses faith, and God answered by my, my voice. voice. Is, that the Is that at the end of what, end of what you're of reading? reading?
2: What, what verse were you at?
1: I was, I'm, I'm at the end
2: of the night, 19. Well, and it's 19, uh, and I will look, I just give some of the high points of the chapter, verse 9. The Lord said to Moses, I am going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people may hear when I speak uh, with you so that they will always believe in you. Uh, Go to verse 10. The Lord said to Moses, go to the people and sanctify them today and tomorrow and make them wash their clothes and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come on Mount Sinai in the sight of all of the people. Verse 20 The Lord came uh, down on Mount Sinai on the top of the mountain and the Lord summoned Moses to the top of the mountain and Moses went up. The Lord said to Moses, go down and solemnly warn the people lest they force their way through to the Lord to look and many of them perished. Uh, That's this example that I believe that he is speaking of here on on the Mount of Horeb. When, uh, when they talk about God speaking to them, I can't draw anything out of that context that would even hint at a plurality of persons. So this is uh, just one example of just showing just, most of us most times go right to Deuteronomy 6, which wow, I believe wow. is true, but I think the biggest case is to be made reading the entire context up to that, which is uh, very unipersonal.
1: Mm-hmm okay, okay. Um, um okay okay uh, I don't I find that, to, that be to be an adequate out of, out of, out of sense, sense. sense uh that that God, God is, is not, not uh, uh, uh as as, as uh, uh tri-personal um in the word of God um Okay. Uh yeah, say I'm yeah, just getting with, started. Okay. Uh yeah, hope that that reverb is whenever both of us are both of us are off mic at the same time, it reverbs. Uh so we'll try to keep an eye on that. Thank you, uh uh Dewan. Um um let's see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I got a couple of we got a couple of back chats on that one. Uh uh, Brandon, so when I'm on, I'll make sure that, uh, you make sure you're muted. And when you're on, I'll make sure that I'm muted so that we are not, uh, echoing. We want to, yeah. Okay. Thank you everybody for, uh, helping to hold us accountable, uh, to the scripture. Um, at the request of Elder Brandon, he wanted our dialogue to be just between him and I. So we won't be inviting anyone to the stage uh, uh, at this time. However, maybe at the uh, uh, at the end of our dialogue, Elder Brandon and myself may take some questions. But at this time, it's just him and I. Uh, I am not... Um, uh, I'm not actually cross-examining uh, Brandon. I'm cross-examining the doctrine, which I think, from my standpoint of view, is a great error. I think not only is it a great error, I think that it is a doctrine that is spurned by the devil because the devil does not want us to behold uh, the truth of the scripture um, so that our foundation uh, has, um, has, um, the integrity of our, our understanding is not solid. See, because when the integrity of our understanding is not solid, the enemy can do whatever he wants with the rest of it. He has a way in, a way to segue way in. Um, and so, uh, having said that, um, It's challenging. The challenge that I see, well, I can't really explain the challenge that I see yet because I'm, I'm, I have not established that I understand you correctly. So, so from the top, you're saying that he's just this one God uh, is one God is one person to you, right? Am I understanding that?
2: Yes. Uh, this one God, who is one person, uh, has made it clear that he is the Father. And uh, and I don't want to do a, a scripture jump thing. Do, do, whatever, you do, do whatever,
1: whatever you have to do to establish your foundation.
2: Oh, thank you. Well, and the reason I'm showing that is because many times we go right to Deuteronomy 6 and 4, where people will say, well, this is not really a claim of monotheism. Uh, but I think the context alone uh, surrounding it will establish that there's no way in the world that a when we get to Deuteronomy 6 and 4, that these people would have thought on the worst day that it was more than one person. Uh, and that was the reason I'm showing this. He starts off in that chapter. He talks about an instance when they saw the Lord God and he did not show them three persons. He said the Lord God, the the God himself who beside him, there is no other. This is who appeared to to us, he establishes that without question. Then, when it was interesting? Uh, he reaffirms all throughout the book that I'm going to fulfill the promise that I made to your ancestor. Well, when did he make that an- that to uh, promise to his ancestor? When he spoke to Abraham in the hills of Mamre, uh, where he he stayed and talked with the Lord. Uh, it's another singular uh, theophany. But when we go to Deuteronomy 30. Uh, Two, it says uh, uh, when he's giving these uh, addresses in verse three, for I will proclaim the name of the Lord. You must acknowledge the greatness of our God. As for the rock, his work is perfect for all his ways are just. He is a reliable God who is never unjust. He is fair and upright. His people have been unfaithful to him. They have not acted like ch- acted like his children. Paternal language. This is their sin. They are perverse and dece- a deceitful generation. Is this how you repay the Lord? Now we understand that Lord is the Father. You foolish, unwise people. Is he not your father, your creator? That correlates with Malachi 2.10. Is, excuse me, He has made you and established you, the same God who has delivered them out of Egypt. Verse 7, remember the ancient days. Bear in mind the years of past generations. Ask your father, and he will inform you, your elders, and they will tell you when the Most High, again, it's talking about the same God who is the Father, Gave the nations their inheritance when he divided up humankind. I believe that's referring to uh, a type of uh, the Tower of Babel. He set the boundaries of the peoples according to the number of the heavenly assembly. For the Lord's allotment is all his people. The Lord found him in a desolate land in an empty wasteland where animals howl. He continually guarded him and taught him. Now listen to this. He protected him like the pupil of his eye. Uh, You go down to verse 11, like an eagle that stirs up in his nest that hovers over its young. So the Lord spread out his wings and took him. He lifted him up on the uh, pinions. The Lord alone was guiding him. No foreign God was with him. Go to verse 15. This is where it really gets interesting, where it solidifies the paternal relationship of God with his people. But Jeshrod became fat and kicked you, got fat and thick and stuffed. Then he deserted the God who made him. Now, this is very fascinating as we read and treated the rock who saved him with contempt. They made him jealous with other gods. They enraged him with the born idols. They sacrificed demons, not God. To gods they have not known, to new gods who have recently come along, gods your ancestors had not known had not known about. Verse 18, you forget the rock who fathered you. You forget the rock who fathered you still keeping in context when they met this God, he revealed himself as one person. And we see he is using paternal language and put out of mind the God who gave you birth verse 19 but the Lord took note and despised them because his sons and daughters enraged him he said I will reject them I will see what will happen to them for they are a perverse generation children who will show no loyalty now this same God who is the father according to the 30th verse he's making it clear he is the rock verse 31. For our enemies, uh, uh, rock is not like our rock. Verse 37, he uses that word rock again. And 39, he says, see now that I, indeed, I am he, this God who is the rock, this God who is the father, this God who is unlike anyone else. And there is no other God beside me. Now, if the father is saying there is no other God beside him, he's making that clear what the deal really is. He goes to verse um, forty. For I raise up my hand to heaven and say, as surely as I live forever. Uh, sorry here. Getting. Uh, let me see. Sorry. My point got got mixed up there. OK. Uh, this is the other point I wanted to show. Verse 34, uh, chap- chapter 34, uh, verse four. Then the Lord said to him, this is the land. I promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob when I said I will give your descendants uh, I have let you see it but you will not cross over and that's when he's talking to Moses and as he is talking to Moses he is re- recollecting on the previous promises that we already know from Genesis 18 It was the Bible says that he sat and he talked with the Lord the same Lord has identified himself as the Father in his own words at verse 11 he says he did all the signs and wonders the Lord has sent him to do in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh and all of his servants and the whole land and display great power and awesome might in view of all of Israel. So just and the reason I'm going giving a cursory review of Deuteronomy is because one or several principles we can extract that God is singular by Himself, and that as being singular by Himself, He has identified Him as exclusively being the Father, which the Father is the Creator and Maker of all things uh, from the beginning of the chapter, the book, when He even brings their mind to remembrance on a previous event in the book of exodus that event he said i will stand in the cloud i will be among them uh so this is why when people try to undermine deuteronomy 6 and 4 as this is not a declaration of monotheism even though i don't feel that that is the exact point of deuteronomy it's like saying well Pro-Deuteronomy 6 and 4 isn't talking about green gummy bears and walruses. Well, why in the world would it be talking about that? Why would that even be on their mind? What in the context of their deliverance, of Abraham's interactions, of any of these things, would someone even come to the conclusion that God is more than one person? Better yet, we even have a a further witness, and I don't want to do the scripture bazooka thing because I know how irritating that is, But when we go and we even take a further look, Uh, In the book of Isaiah, we have the Lord who uh, created all things, the one who did all things, the one who is going to be described as having uh, being the Lord of heaven's armies. Uh, Deuteronomy, uh, excuse me, Isaiah 44 and six. This is what the Lord Israel's king says, their protector, the Lord of heaven's armies. I am the first and I am the last and there is no God but me who is like me. Let him make his claim. Let him announce and explain it to me. Since I established an ancient people. Now, that's interesting. Let them announce future events. Don't panic. Don't be afraid. Did I not tell you beforehand and the it? You are my witnesses. Is there any God but me? Is there any sheltering rock? I know not none. Now he's already identified himself as the rock of the Old Testament. He had identified himself as the one who establishes the borders of ancient boundaries in times past. He goes on to verse 21. Remember these things, O Jacob, O Israel, for you are my servant. I formed you to be my servant. This is the same language that's used in Deuteronomy when he makes himself clear to be the Father. Verse 24. Uh, This is what the Lord says, your protector, the one, the one, the one who formed you in the womb. I am the Lord who made everything, who alone stretched out the sky and who fashioned the earth all by myself and who frustrates the omens of the empty talkers. Now, this is interesting. When we understand that this is the same uh, attributing uh, details that is given to the God of the Old Testament and all of his wonderful details, it makes perfect sense to us, especially when we go into chapter 45, uh, when he says... uh, At verse five, he says, I am the Lord. I have no peer. There is no God but me. Verse six, I do this so people will recognize that from the east to the west, there is no God but me, which Deuteronomy already establishes is the father. I am the Lord and I have no peer. I am the one who forms light. I am the one who creates darkness, the one who brings about space and creates calamity. I am the Lord who accomplishes all these things. O sky, rain down from above. Let the clouds send down showers of deliverance. Let the earth absorb it so salvation may grow and deliverance may sprout up along with it. I, the Lord, created. it. He goes on uh, in verse 11. He says, the Holy One of Israel, the one who formed him, Conquering things to come, uh, excuse me, concerning things to come. How dare you question me about my children? Now, that's interesting. How dare you tell me what to do with the work of my hands? I made the earth let the people who live and made the people who live on it. It was me. My hand stretched out the sky for uh give orders to all the heavenly lights it is me i stir him up and commission him i will make all his ways level he will rebuild my city he will send my exiled people home but not for the price of a bribe uh says the lord of heaven's armies so this is another key that's going to be important to understand using that phrase the lord of heaven's armies because it's going to be in the book of malachi over 16 times that as the lord is talking he identifies himself as the The Lord of heaven's armies. But he also says if I'm a father, where's my honor? If I'm a king, where's my respect? We cannot escape that this language, that's used of God very clearly, He never divorces the aspect of Him being uh, our paternal progenitor from His divine essence or responsibility. So the only problem is, if we are to say that in all of these instances, that when it says me, myself, and I, unless the context is dictating different, that this must mean the Trinity, then we would have to accept that all members of the Trinity must be the Father, but From a oneness standpoint, we wholeheartedly accept that this one God who is the father in creation has made it very clear there is no one with him, uh, especially in terms of equality of power in this is a cursory look at our Old Testament foundation for understanding the oneness of God. And so we take our Old Testament understanding of the oneness of God, and as we are received progressive, not divergent revelation, we interpret what we're seeing through the New Testament, through the lens of the Old Testament. And of course, I imagine we will go further into the New Testament as we have our conversation. But hopefully that gives a, just an even better understanding of why we view the Old Testament the way we do.
1: Well, well, um, um, um mute, you, so mute you so we won't so have that that call. call.
2: Predate Pre- some time, yeah.
1: Okay. Um. You, <laughs> okay, so, so far, uh, the one doctrine as far as God is, God is just God. Nothing has changed as far as God being God. God is, God is going to be God and, uh, God is, uh, what he is. he, God is God. God is God to everybody on the planet that believes in God. He's God. They accept uh, his revelation, however he has revealed to them that he is God. That hasn't changed. It's not going to change. The challenge is, uh, in statements like you made a statement about they would never have seen God in a certain, uh, 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 couldn't see him as more than uh, one God, of course, because he's God. But they were unable to see into what God would do concerning himself uh, as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit in some ways. Now, I was listening to a rabbi, I can't remember his name, uh, speaking about the two powers in heaven and how that in in um, ancient times they did believe in the two powers and that the reason why they stopped uh, really focusing and teaching about the two powers in heaven was because of the Christians. They didn't like uh, to have to be able to admit that a portion of what the Christians were saying is uh, true because they people who are, are Jews but are not saved don't like the Christian doctrine. We know this, but I just said that because I don't really have all of the information. I was just listening to it maybe three, four weeks ago. A rabbi, a Jewish rabbi, was talking about how that that aspect of the two powers, Godhead, uh, did exist and did ex- does exist. He was explaining it in the Bible from his Jewish. Uh, his Jewish standpoint of view, his Hebraic standpoint of view. So um, that's there about how they would have seen it. You made mention of how they would have seen it. So now,
2: could I I make a note on the two powers uh, while, while we're still there? Yeah, I actually have Alan F. Siegel's work uh, called Two Powers in Heaven, Early Rabbinic uh, Reports about Christianity and Gnosticism. In Chapter 1, um, Two Powers in Heaven, the history of the importance of this problem, uh, and I'm in Paragraph 2 uh It says, even the heretics who believed in two powers in heaven have been discussed in several times in scholarly literature. Uh, Trying to find another one. See here. Uh, Okay, on page number two Those heretics who believed in two powers in heaven Present a most promising target in identifying Identification of a sectarian group that do other heresies Because some kind of dualistic doctrine is inherent in the rabbinic uh, designation And what's of even more fascination to me Is that Mr. Siegel, uh, within his book he makes it very clear that they really don't know who this group was. Uh, and usually sometimes when I hear people make the argument, well, all of them must have believed in two powers in heaven. If that's the case, why does he often throughout his book refer to them as a sectarian group? Well, that's, uh, well, that's of, the
1: person, respectfully, respect, that's not that's the person per- I'm talking about. I'm the about the person that I'm talking about actually, actually here on Clubhouse talking about it. I mean, so I— I don't know
2: who this is that you're talking about, and the fact that the fact he that wrote, he uh, wrote the book, uh, the guy, the guy that, that was here. No, I'm saying that, I'm not sure the rabbi you're talking about. Yeah, that, that guy that, Alan F. Siegel's <laughs> work is considered the uh, the cornerstone of uh, two Powers yeah, yeah, theology in yeah, the Second yeah. Temple period. The guy that was on
1: was talking about how that um, uh, it was a challenge for him to have to come out as a. Um, as a Jew and have to make these statements that he was making because the community would resist him and was resisting him at the time. So I only mentioned it because it was something that actually happened in real time. uh, And because you had said that no one would have seen it that way, be they heretics, Gnostics or whatever, that group of people who are not Christians Had this as an issue in their community. So So, I don't don't care care if if the guy in your book refutes it. My point is, is that they had this idea. Well,
2: let me bring some clarity to you, because this the concept of two powers in heaven is in what they call the second temple, period. What I'm reading. What, what I'm reading from is uh, out of the Bible, which would have been definitely uh, pre-first temple period, yeah, which I yeah. think would be a more sound witness. Uh, the, the, the I am not denying that there were people in the Second Temple period who uh, believed two powers in heaven. But I'm saying that that is the beginning of the information we even have on them is Second Temple based. And I even then the from temple. that, it can't be established that this okay. is what okay. all the people believed.
1: First Temple, Second Temple, those people, whomever they were, were not Christians. And they were reading their book. And however they want to, that's a family matter, (laughs) however they want to deal with it, that's on them. I don't care. All I was stating, the fact was that in their community, uh, it was not just one point of view, Uh, just like what we're dealing with now. There's not just one point of view. Uh, We have diverging points of view concerning the same scriptures that we're reading. So that was my point uh, in saying that. Um uh the so I only so far all I have is that God is God there's no argument there I also heard you mention the hypostatic Union okay so in this hypostatic Union uh is Jesus a person?
2: Okay. Thank you. We believe the hypostatic union, the one person of Jesus. Some people uh, play with the fringes on that as of right now. I would just see Jesus as one person, uh, truly God and truly man. All that is true of God as far as his attributes, his, 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 his works of old uh, is perfectly united, not mixed, uh, but united in perfect fashion. He is the seen reality of the unseen God. Uh, So I would not say, uh, I guess, go into the era of saying two persons that would uh, lie towards what people have historically classified as Nestorianism, but I would actually uh, take the verbiage of the Council of Chalcedon. Uh, He is one person with a rational human will and a a rational, of course, the rational divine will, uh, not mixed, distinct, uh, but perfectly united in the one person of Jesus Christ.
1: So he has two personalities.
2: No, he has two wheels.
1: If you're on mute, I'm not sure if I can hear you. I'm saying, are you saying he has two personalities? No, I'm
2: saying he has two wheels, just like Chalcedon says.
1: Chalcedon doesn't seem to make uh, good sense.
2: The Council of Chalcedon Uh, doesn't make sense. Yeah.
1: yeah. No, it doesn't make sense because you're saying that there are two.